You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. You're tuning in to part one of two for our very special 50th episode. Good evening, everyone. I'm Grace. Hello, and I'm Chelsea, and you are listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. We're the Good Evening Girls, and this is your favorite weekly Podword Crosscast. And if it's not your favorite weekly Podword Crosscast, then like, I mean, fine. But also... There's some other good uh, podcasts or Podword Crosscasts out there, but Mm -hmm. we do take it personally. We Um, do. (laughs) Even if you don't mean to. We will be mean to you if we ever meet you in person. But aside from that, it's our 50th episode. (laughs) What? Can you believe it's the big 5-0? We're officially over the hill i know we're close to retirement baby 65 episodes and we're out of here we're so you done. just have 50 more episodes uh <laughs> left with us uh but no we will be throwing a party ex- and we expect gifts monetary gifts yes um a zoom party and then yes. you can just Venmo us but yes uh yeah i am excited we made 50 episodes i'm want to say thank you to all of our listeners and people who interact with us on social media yeah i i tr- Somebody was saying, like, can you believe you almost did, you've done 50 episodes? And I was like, this has been over a year of my life doing something that I really am, like, oddly passionate about. Um, and to think, mm-hmm. like, I don't think I've ever kind of stuck with a hobby for this long, except, like, reading, you know? So it's kind yeah. of cool to think. We sat together at lunch, awkwardly did the crossword together, kind of quietly at first, and we weren't really friends. And then suddenly, here we for are. like, a year. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we like hung out once outside of work and we we're like, okay, this is actually kind of fun. And so now we have a pod word, a pod word cross cast together. So. And the story of the first time we hung out outside of work, actually, I didn't tell you this, but you know, as you guys know, NPR had featured me on their moth podcast, but the, I told the story about when Chelsea and I first hung out when we went to the spa <laughs> and um, they told me that they want to feature it in October. So yes, keep your ears out. For that, it's a long time away. But if you want to know how we really first became friends, then you could listen to that episode. I love um, it. I'm so excited to hear it. Yeah. It's a fun story. Too. It was a fun time. And I can't believe that's one of the first times we hung out. Like, truly, it involved complete nudity. So, <laughs> yeah. We'll just leave it at that. And then you'll have to listen uh, to find out. But, yeah. So, thank you, everyone, for sticking with us and listening to us. And for any new listeners, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Um, this episode is going to be a little different than our past episodes. So if you haven't noticed, we've been kind of quiet. We haven't posted an episode in, I think, two weeks. Just with everything going on, we wanted to kind of take a break and use this time use this to time. learn. Yeah. And I say kind of take take some time away, learn, and like become more active um, in what's happening right now in the world. So that's kind of why we took a break. And we didn't forget about you Um and also, 50 is a very important episode for us, so we kind of wanted to do it right and not, you know, wrong. Yeah, and it just didn't feel right to post it um, with everything going on. So, I don't know when this will go up, but... Uh, this could this go episode, up in, like, three months. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, but this episode is going to be a little different. We are not going to talk about crosswords. We did pick a trivia topic, not necessarily from a crossword, but one that we are very passionate about. If you've been a long-time listener, you probably have heard us mention this multiple times. And this has been in Crosswords before, okay? I don't want to say that it's not. There was an incredible clue from one of Evan uh, Bernholz's Sunday Washington Post that featured this specific topic. So it shows up in Crosswords. I do not know if it has shown up in the previous week's Crosswords, which is what we usually do, but Mm -hmm. you guys are in for a, a crazy wild ride. I am very excited for this. Also, 
I got a big glass of wine. So let's have fun. We both are drinking. We normally don't drink um, and do the podcast together because, well, in the past, we've recorded at like seven in the morning. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I I just can't bring wine on on the train. No, I can't drink that early. But um, anyways, yeah, so we're going to be drinking wine. So if the if we get a little loosey-goosey towards the end, uh, you know why. But Cheers. Is red. I have white. Cheers. Feel free to drink a glass with us. And yeah, for our 50th episode, we're going to be talking about, drumroll please, cats. Cats, the musical. Not the animal, the musical. We do like the animal as well, but we're very passionate about the musical and the movie and And before okay i know a lot of you probably like clicked pause went to a different podcast before you leave just hear us out first okay whether you like it or not cats is part of the cultural zeitgeist it asks the question what is art what is entertainment what is the what are the limits of anthropomorphization that's a very hard word to say (laughs) does it answer these questions no it doesn't no but it asks those questions and that's the first step okay chelsea and i have read the book yes there's a book we have (laughs) watched the movie um in theaters and we have seen the play all within the past like couple months so like who better to talk about this than us we are your ones if i love or hate cats because I know I, there's a, a conflict of... in me. There's a conflict in me and I can't put words to it. It's kind of like, I'm going to save this to my section when we talk about the film. But after we watch the movie, you and I just kind of could like look at each other. There's not much you can actually vocalize, but there's a shared feeling in your it's an experience. It's just it's 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 a thing. It's a thing. And I'm excited to talk and share it with you guys. <laughs> yeah. And. I have seen a lot of, you know, Chelsea likes musicals as well. I love musicals, especially like in high school. I really love musicals. I was a huge nerd. And I've seen a lot of plays. And I have to say Cats is probably, like, it's probably one of the worst musicals I've ever seen. Yet it is one of the ones that is, like, stuck in my memory the most. Right. And I've seen plays, like, recently, too, as an adult. But this is the one, like, I can remember almost every dance from this play. It's just, like, ingrained in me. It Yeah. Um, the experience of it is going to live with me until the day I die, I think. Grace put it really well after we saw the film (laughs) there is life before cats and there is life after cats like there's no other way to describe this phenomenon this cultural thing that we're all living through and what's weird is that the play was like this huge success i mean it changed the landscape of broadway musicals forever right and then the movie was a gigantic flop i mean it was a as they say in the crossword word an ed cell if you will (laughs) um people were like tearing it apart from the minute that the like previews or whatever or the trailer was released people right. hated it yeah. and then people hated it when they saw the whole movie because the trailers was just like a drop in the ocean of what you're about to see <laughs> yes so if you're looking even just for like a little bit of humor you can just google like cats movie reviews and you don't even need to read the reviews just read the titles of the reviews some of them i was like cats a horror i can never unlive or something like that that is like the level of hate that we're about to show you that some yeah, people have. it really like stirred things up in people. Mm-hmm. Um, but buckle up, cats and kittens. That's a Tiger King <laughs> reference that Chelsea hasn't seen. Uh, but before Chelsea starts talking about the book, I want to give like a quick rundown about the plot and some of the characters. Now, it is a very quick rundown because the plot is basically non-existent. Um, here it is. <clears throat> the Jellicle cats throw an event called the Jellicle Ball every year. At this ball, the oldest cat, 
Deuteronomy, aka Dame Judi Dench, decides which cat gets to die and go to the heaviside layer, aka heaven. So why do the cats want to die? It's so that they can come back as a different type of cat. The play consists of the cats introducing themselves until Judy Dench picks one to die. The end. That is the entire play. That there you go. And I mean, honestly, if you were and that's kind, kind of like an in-depth version of the plot. <laughs> before like I tr- saw the play, before I saw the film, before I knew anything about cats, I saw a meme online where it was like, "Cats is just a movie about cats introducing themselves for two hours, uh, and then it ends," which is like literally what it is each cat is introducing themselves to you it's a wild trippy acid fueled ride so i want to name some of the cats because they have funny names that's another part of like the the jellical cats they name themselves and they all have weird names so here are some of the cats that introduce themselves just so you know the players in case we mention them um there's gus or his full name, Asparagus. He is the theater cat who worked in showbiz. Mm-hmm. Bustopher Jones is a fat cat who likes to eat. Jenny Annie Dots is a motherly house, co- house cat who looks after mice and roaches. McCavity is a mysterious cat who you never see. Mr. Mistopheles is a shy cat who wants to be a magician, which is weird. He's the only one who has like a human <laughs> uh, right. job. Um, Rumtum Tugger is a playboy cat who gets all the ladies. <laughs> Skimbleshanks is a cat who works on the railway, and he wears pants for some reason. It's just... <laughs> Mungo, Jerry, and Rumple Teaser are twin cats who like to cause trouble, but you can't tell which one caused the trouble, and potentially a Halloween costume for Chelsea and I one year. <laughs> um, and then Grizabella is the old mangy cat who used to be beautiful and loved, but is now a pariah, for reasons not specified, other than the fact that she's old and ugly. And Grizabella is the one who sings Memory, which is one of the most iconic songs to ever come out of Broadway. Or, um, like, and yeah. she's played by uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Hudson, Hudson in the film. In yeah. the movie. And uh, that's, that's our oh, episode on cats. <laughs> yeah. Deuteronomy is the old cat who like pulls out the string and decides who gets to die. And in the movie, it's Judy Dench. It's true. So yeah, that's it. That's all I need to know. So take it away, Chelsea. Let's let's hear about the book of cats because I feel like people might not know that cats is based on. Okay, the book. so you're wondering why did Andrew Lloyd Webber decide to write a musical about cats and not just any cats, but these like jellical cats with these weird names that they choose for themselves. Okay. It does not start with Andrew Lloyd Webber as a lot of things do. It starts with a little old man named T.S. Eliot. T.S. Mm -hmm. Eliot stands for Thomas Stearns Eliot. Um, And if you don't know him because you forget like your high school English classes or your college English classes or whatever, he is a poet, essayist, publisher, playwright, critic and editor okay i went my entire like literary career thinking that t.s Eliot was british um he is not british he was born in st louis missouri um oh he seems british he seems british <laughs> he definitely seems british well here's why he decided to kind of like peace out he like moved to england when he was like 25 uh and denounced his american citizenship by the age of what was it 39 and he was like a full citizen citizen of the united kingdom by then so he didn't really want any adopt a british a fake british accent he probably did because he went to like all those fancy rich like ritzy schools you know um so yeah he was born in missouri and he died in london in 1965 okay um he moved to england when he was 25 and became a british subject when he was 39 cool and this guy is like super smart 
I mean, seriously smart. He went to all the best prep schools and he eventually studied philosophy at Harvard. He studied philosophy at the Sorbonne, which is part of the University of Paris, one of the oldest and first universities in the world. Um, he studied Indian philosophy and Sanskrit at Harvard, Harvard, and then he went to Oxford to complete his Harvard philosophy dissertation to obtain his PhD. NBD. No big deal. This guy was seriously smart. He's most famous for two works, The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, which you might have read in high school, and The Wasteland, which you also might have read in high school. I read both of those in high school. Um, he's a modernist writer, and some other famous modernist writers are like James Joyce, Ezra Pound, uh, William Carlos Williams, who we talked about in a previous episode with the Plums, if you remember, um, Virginia Woolf, Hemingway, Fitzgerald. So they were all kind of writing at the same time. Um, so what is modernism? Uh, from Poets.com, quote, English novelist Virginia Woolf declared that human nature underwent a fundamental change on or about December 10th. And during this time period, the early 20th century, it's when kind of cars were showing up, airplanes were showing up, um, other automations. Einstein was talking about the universe. Um, there was innovation in film and other creative spheres, right? But there's also we were also on the verge of World War, right? Um, and there's a kind of shift in philosophical, scientific, and political ideologies. Um, and we're like, entering the industrial revolution so modernism was a direct reaction to that um, authors were looking to other periods and cultures like greek literature chinese chinese and japanese poetry dante um, to kind of find and like pull influence into their work and t.s Eliot was one of these people um, they experimented with literary form expression um, and writers that were kind of during world war one um, they talked a lot about the disillusionment that followed these wars. Um, they used techniques like stream of consciousness, interior monologues, irony, satire, multiple points of view. Um, and all of this kind of added up to the sense that you were going nowhere, humanity was going nowhere. Um, and so I kind of think it's interesting that T.S. Eliot wrote about cats, like a book about cats with no plot. And then we eventually get a play about cats with no plots. And it kind of feels sort of modernist in that like there's really no point and we're kind of sitting there like what is actually going on this sense mm -hmm. of where is my direction in life right so let's talk about cats why don't we um the book that cats the musical is based off of is called old possum's book of practical cats and it was published by elliot in 1939 old possum is the nickname that another poet ezra pound gave to t.s elliot so that's why it's old possum's book of practical cats mm -hmm. Eliot actually wrote these poems um in 1930 and sent them in letters to his godchildren but eventually collected them and put them into a book and published them in 39 the poems are light verse which means they're supposed to be humorous um, and they talk about the psychology and sociology of being a cat like literally that's all it is um, it's very surface level i mean yeah cats have a lot of different personalities and that's that's just like what the poems explore essentially right so the poems that are included in the book are as follows. Um, and if you're familiar with the play or more recently the film, they might sound familiar to you. The Naming of Cats, The Old Gumby Cat, Jenny Anydots, Growl Tiger's Last Stand, The Rum Tum Tugger, The Song of the Jellicles, Mungo Jerry and Rumple Teaser, Old Deuteronomy, Mr. Mistopheles, Macavity the Mystery Cat, Gus the Theater Cat, and onward and onward in that vein. So those are the names of the poems. And basically, those are the names of the songs that make it into Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical. Um, you might notice that there is no mention of a certain famous cat by the name of Grizabella. 
Grizabella is probably the most famous cat in the musical Cats. And I think it's mm-hmm. because her song Memory is the most famous song in the musical. But it's also, like you said, the most famous song to come out of Broadway like, at all. like transcended musical theater because all these people did covers of it. Like right. Barbara Streisand. That's probably the most famous, like, right? The charts. Right. And I knew Memory the Barbra Streisand version before I even knew that it was part of the musical Cats. And I love that song. It's so good. And it's, it's such a good standalone song, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see it in the center of the musical and you're kind of like, it's a real bummer for everything else that's happening. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> one of these things does not belong. <laughs> yeah. This does not look like the others. Um, but even though Grizabella did not make the original book, um, she was actually, um, like part of a poem written by T.S. Eliot. Um, So it was a character in an original poem published by Eliot um, called Grizabella the Glamour Cat. Cat. It was decided not to be included in the book because I thought that the material was too dark for children. It basically tells the story of like Grizabella, who I think is supposed to be like allegorically like a a sex worker, how she's like a fallen glamour cat. Um, and she mm-hmm. kind of roams the red light district now, and nobody likes her, and everybody hates her. Um, and like I said, they thought it was too sad for children, so they didn't include it. But they but, put it in the play, baby. <laughs> but when Andrew Lloyd Webber got the rights to do the play, um, the poem was actually given to him by Valerie Elliott, uh, Elliott's widow, um, and his literary executor. So she was kind of like, have this. It's like part of his writing, even though it wasn't in the book. And it's another poem about cats. See if you can do anything with it. <laughs> exactly. And I think, I mean, Angela Weber was probably like, this is the shit. I got to include it. And he did. Um, and a, a little reminder. Elliot is like, I said, ultra educated. We're talking about a PhD in philosophy from Harvard, studied at Oxford, won a Nobel Prize in literature in 1948 for his, quote, outstanding pioneering contribution to present day poetry. He was awarded the Order of Merit in the United Kingdom at the same time. And then he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in the United States in 1964. Okay, but he still wrote poems about cats. Um, which I think is hilarious. Um, and the fact that this really smart guy that kind of changed literature, like the wasteland is considered a seminal piece of work in 20th century lit. And he wrote the source material that gives us cat the musical. I love that. And I would almost think that could argue that cats has affected you know, is more mainstream than his other works. Even people who don't care about literature or care about poems might know about Cats, right? the musical or the movie. Right. So it's like, is that what he's most known for? Maybe. Although a lot of people don't know that the movie's based on his poems. So. A lot of people don't. And now, now if you're listening, you know. Um, and before I pass the, you know, the baton off to Grace, I'm just going to do like a beep, beep, PSA um, for those who don't already know, we're going to talk a little bit about problematic old white people, poet edition. Um, so T.S. Eliot was notably an anti-Semite. You can Google it. I'm not going to like give you the receipts, but it's on the internet. Um, he gave lots of talks about it. It's actually kind of crazy. Um, so as we do research and shit on our podcast, we try and like bring to light shit that we are not cool with. Um, and we have to remember that a lot of literary canon taught in the U.S. Um, is white and Majority of the time, the white people are men. Um, so these writers are like old white men, um, most of which are probably racist, anti-Semites, anti-women, or anti-poor. Uh, so that's why we like to do the research, educate ourselves, and then let you guys know. Um, because 
I mean, we're sitting here talking about cats, but we don't want to forget where it came from. Um, yeah. And well, it almost feels like almost every topic we research, like something like this rises to the top. Like you cannot escape any, us. Like notable person in history. Right. Yeah. You cannot escape us. We will find you on the internet. We will find you. <laughs> um, so that's T.S. Eliot. That's what, that's what I got for T.S. Eliot. All right. Well, I'll take it from here because I'm going to talk about how Andrew Lloyd Webber did his thing. How to do um, it. Okay. So Andrew Lloyd Webber is a famous composer. Um, he began composing the songs in 1977 as just a songwriting exercise. He loved the book as a kid, or the poems as a kid, and he wanted to see if he could compose music for, like, predetermined lyrics. Because if you listen to the music from the musical, a lot of the lyrics are, like, word for word from the poems. Um, So the compositions were performed privately for friends, but Weber really had no, like, further intentions for them at the time. It was just something fun that he did, you know, compose, like, a quick song cycle, as they call it. Yeah. Um, at the time, he had composed songs for Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita. So he was like making his way in the industry, but he was not a household name like he is today. In 1980, he presented the song cycle at a summer arts festival. Valerie Elliott, T.S. Elliott's widow, as Chelsea said, was at the festival and she gave Weber a bunch of um, unpublished cat poems that T.S. Eliot had written. So we're talking and, like, about, Chelsea, talking about this shit. <laughs> like Chelsea said, the Grisabella poem is not in the original book because it is darker than the other poems. It just doesn't fit in. But uh, Weber, like, read this poem and was inspired by the song, or read the poem that inspired the song Memory. And, like, this poem is kind of what brought the whole thing together for him, that he thought he could make a musical based on these poems about cats. It was like seeing, because, like I said, all the other poems are kind of very surface level. Like, they're fun, but there's no meat to them. But then he read Grisabella's poem about someone being, you know, someone who once was beloved, who is now kind of rejected by society. And he was like, I got something here. I could make like a whole show about this. So that poem really is the one that like turned this into the musical that we know today. And T.S. Eliot didn't even publish it. How about that, folks? How about that? You never know. Um, Yeah. And he was, you know, he had already died by the time like any of this happened. So he he had no idea that his poems were going to become as huge as they did. He's probably rolling in his grave now, honestly. I just want to say like, knowing a little bit about T.S. Eliot and like what he found important in his writing, I would be ashamed to look him in the eye and say, catch the musical. He'd well, be like, huh? The musical? <laughs> I just died. Okay. Well, remember his wife was still alive mm-hmm. and she was like, like you said, the executor of his literary work. Estate. Yeah. Yeah. So Trevor Nunn was brought in as the director. And it was weird because Trevor Nunn was kind of like a highbrow director. He worked at the like Shakespeare company in London. Mm -hmm. But they thought that if they brought in like a sophisticated director like Nunn, then T.S. Eliot's wife would be more on board because it would be like sophisticated. Right. More highbrow. Yeah. So she was like, you know, it worked. She, she was all for it. And then one of Nunn's stipulations was that he would direct Practical Cats if Judy Dench could be cast in the musical. This is this will it keep resurfacing later. So she was given the dual role of Grizabella, who, like we said, sings memory, and Jenny Annie Dots, who in the movie is Rebel Wilson, who's the <laughs> house cat. So I don't I mean, normally those are not played by the same actress, but they are not. But, and also it's interesting to think those things will come up later in the episode, but to think of Judy Dench with like the kind of voice that you need to play Grizabella, I had no idea that she was 
Well, apparently she has that range, baby, because she, she was cast for both cats. Um, and that was the only reason why he he agreed to do it, or one of the reasons. Okay. Picky, picky. So he, he originally, like, saw the play as being more sophisticated, maybe, like, two pianos on stage, five dancers, kind of like a, like, cabaret show. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but Andrew Lloyd oh. Webber had a different vision. He okay. was like, no, I want this play to be a commercial success. Like, I want it to be huge. I want... To appeal to a bunch of people, like we need to go big or go home. Go big, um, baby. Weber had like composed the opening song already, the overture with all these synthesizers, giving it like an electronic. <laughs> I punk can't. Sound. I'm just remembering our experience in the theater. I just. <laughs> so, Ch- I have listened to like the music in Cats as a kid growing up and stuff, mm-hmm. but I never really like. We went to go see the play back in August, and the opening song, it's like. Was there a fog machine? I don't know. There are definitely laser lights everywhere. And it's like this electronic. I mean, the song came out in the 80s. I mean, the the play came out in the 80s. But it was, I was like, where are we? Like, what? Yeah, it looked like, it was like we were stepping back into like glam rock in the 80s, you know? And I'm like, wait a second. This is 2019. What's happening? Or like a Pink Floyd laser light show at the, (laughs) uh, what are those things called? Planetarium. Yeah, exactly. That's what it felt like. So. Nunn was like, okay, I get it. You want to be a commercial success. But if you do want to be this huge blockbuster, the play needs more of a narrative structure. Because right now it was just kind of like, you know, the different dances or whatever, the different songs. Mm-hmm. So it was Nunn's job to connect. First of all, he's the director. He's, he did like a lot for this play. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly like <laughs> I how this walked stuff away. works. I would have walked away. I'm sorry. I but do not have Nunn's patience. connect all the musical numbers together to create a story. And this would prove very difficult for him. Did he mm. execute this? I don't know. That is up for debate. Yeah. So Nunn said Grizabella's poem was really the most important in creating the story. He says, quote, here in eight lines, Elliot was describing an intensely recognizable character with powerful human resonances while introducing the themes of mortality in the past. Again, it's true. The rest of these poems and songs are just about cats. That's it. Like a cat that gets like, into trouble, a fat cat. And then literally. it's like, oh, yeah. And you know how everyone is going to die and... You know, eventually society rejects you for what they once loved about you. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't hit me with that in the no. middle of the play. No. The musical but was scheduled to open. Yeah, they it really hard. is like a slap in the face. Uh, the musical was scheduled to open on April 30th, 1981. So this was April. It was like supposed to be on. In February, Nunn revealed that he still hadn't finished writing the script. He was really struggling to like connect everything together and finish the lyrics because well yes most of the lyrics are like word for word the poems some of them are changed around especially memory changed around a lot so they brought in a guy named richard stilko who was known for his musical improv abilities and he wrote the lyrics for the opening song jellicle songs for jellicle cats in one night now i feel like you can tell that it was written in one night that's all i'm gonna say because it doesn't make any fucking sense i'm sorry i i have a there's something in me that has, like, a, a loyalty to cats, but the fucking Zellical cat song makes literally no sense to me. Okay, this song, this is what this, the play opens with. This song is, like, the only song that kind of explains what's going on. So it has to explain the whole Jellicle ball and, like, how Judy Dench gets to decide who gets to die. Oops, sorry. Sorry, we're recording, Grace. Can you turn your phone off, please? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, and it decides who gets to die, and it, 
you know, explains what a Jellicle Cat is very loosely, but you would know this song if you heard it. It's the song that this, it repeats this like a million times in the song. It's like, Jellicle songs for Jellicle Cats. Jellicle songs for Jellicle Cats. Jellicle songs for Jellicle Cats. Okay, that's like, yeah, it's... That's 50% of the song and it gets stuck in your head. And the song is seven minutes long. I'm telling you, I, I really do feel like it seems like he wrote it in a night. It's kind of like, you know, when you, you write a paper the night before it's due and you hand it into your professor and they're kind of like, wish you would take more time on this. It's like, yeah, well, I wrote it in 25 minutes because I forgot that it was due. You know, it's kind of like that. Well, apparently Andrew Lloyd Webber heard the lyrics and was like, this is amazing. This is exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> it's like, yeah. People are wild. The 80s were oh. wild. That's all I got to say. No, the 80s were wild. I'm sure they were all like doing coke and yeah. God knows what else. Yeah. In the, in the theater industry. Do not condone. These creatives. You can't um, trust okay. creatives. So the song Memory was the one that was hardest to write lyrics for. Earlier versions kept being tossed out because they were too sad. Um, okay, memory's none, really sad. <laughs> memory is sad. Okay, none didn't finish the final lyrics until they were into previews. So they, like, still didn't have memory until right before the show opened. Basically. Imagine playing Grisabelle and having to, like, relearn the song every night. No. I know. Um, Judy Dench. So a lot of the ensemble characters' personalities were developed through improv exercises during the rehearsal process. Okay. So there's, like, the main cats, and then there's, like, the ensemble cats, and I guess they each have kind of their own personality. Right. You know what? If you're... Rehe- if you're uh, not the rehearsal process, the audition process. So these people are basically writing their play for them for free by like doing improv exercise with the audition. Oh, I love it. Uh, and Cats was plagued by financial trouble. So there were so many rumors in the industry that this show was doomed to fail. Which uh, is so interesting. Did, did Weber take out an extra mortgage on his house? He personally underwrote the play. And he was not like super successful at that point. So basically right. this... If Cats didn't do as well as it did, he, that would have been like financial ruin for him. Oh my he God. He believed in it. He did. Then, Thank God he did. A week before the first preview, Judy Dench snapped her Achilles tendon one it's week true. before. It's true. And she was never able to perform in the role. They ended up bringing two different actresses to play Grisabella and Jenny Annie Dots. I can't. That's just so sad. But that kind of makes more sense as to why she was maybe in the movie. <laughs> why she agreed to do that. Because I don't know why else anyone would agree. I, yeah, no. Especially at your role. dame level. Why would you? Oh, my God. Uh, the opening <sighs> date of the show was actually pushed back a couple of weeks because of Judy Dench. Wow. But it eventually premiered at the West End in London on May 11th, 1981. So, yeah, this was all happening in London, by the way. I don't know if I specified that earlier. Yeah, this but was not on Broadway at the time. At no. the beginning. It was in West End. But I just want to say about memory... Like, we saw the play, and when, I mean, the performance of Memory is beautiful. Like, I got chills. I mean, it was truly heart-wrenching. Yeah. You get so into it, because the performers, yeah, it's one of those it's iconic, like, theater performances across yeah. time. It was amazing, and it was, like, so heartfelt, but again... It does not fit in the rest of the play at all. No. I mean, it is so like the rest of the play. You're like clapping, you're laughing, you're like, oh, people are standing are so up. It's very strange. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, ready to be like depressed. Yeah, just makes no sense. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Everybody else has these amazing costumes, and then she comes out in like one rag with dirt all over her face. You're kind of like this poor, poor lady. I got to play this role. That would be. I don't know if she dances in the rest of the. I, feel I like don't think she does. I don't know though because I feel like some of the ensemble characters play right, like switch, and then they play. You know, they're like an ensemble cat, and then they they are like Jenny Dots for that song because right. Jenny Dots 
it's not necessarily on stage the rest of the, anyways i didn't research that so if you know <laughs> right. let us know speculation talk about the musical and why what made it so special at the time like why was it so different of course now there's a bunch of musicals that i would say are better than cats that oh are yeah still i mean even like, andrew lloyd weber's you know content after cats i think yeah. is arguably better than cats but but they're still kind of but, Cats was different because it was supposed to be marketed to a mass audience. And today there are still musicals like that. I mean, most musicals that like lay people know right. are these types of mega musicals. Right. We have so, Andrew Lloyd Webber basically to thank for the concept yeah. of mega musicals. And mega musicals, for those who don't know, are the ones that are literally the whole point is for them to be musical, be commercialized, have merchandise, have cartoons made out of them, have, you know, movies made out of them to mm-hmm. like... Anything you can imagine. Like people who aren't necessarily into theater. Theater, you know. Families, tourists, whatever. But at the time, that didn't really exist. So when Cats came on the scene, it was like this, something like people had never seen before. Right. So I'm going to talk about what makes the musical so special. What makes it so special? I'll tell you, Chelsea. Please. So first of all, the music. There is very little dialogue in Cats. It goes from like song to song. It almost feels like you're watching a dance recital in a way. Right. But there's also a wide range of music because every cat has its own style of music. So, for example, Rum Tum Tugger gets a rock song, whereas Gus, the theater cat, gets an old fashioned music hall number. So the music, like the, the type of music changes for almost every mm-hmm. number. And it appeals to like a, a larger audience that way, like all ages and all different types of people rather than yeah. just one person. Exactly. And most musicals have one or two ensemble numbers. But usually in the beginning or at the very end, Cats has four ensemble numbers. That means like the entire cast is in on it. And they're dancing. They're dancing. Yeah. Well, Not I'm going to talk about the, the choreography and what makes it why Cats is like so crazy. So Cats is regarded as, quote, one of the most challenging shows to dance in musical theater history. Mm-hmm. So before Cats, the industry-wide belief was that the dancers in London like could not compete with Broadway dancers. So they hired, when Katz hired a British choreographer, Gillian Lynn, for, British, for a British dance musical, uh, a Broadway historian describes as, quote, a vivid and marvelous gesture of transatlantic defiance. So Broadway people were like, oh, people in London can't dance, like, whatever. So then they, this is like the dance musical. This is I mean, the, the one. Whole, the whole show is dancing. There's almost no musical breaks in the entire play. Even between songs, music is still going on. So and, right. and dancing the entire and singing. Cast, Yes, and the entire cast is on stage almost the entire play. So right. they are they have to be performing for like the full whatever. Right. They say that five like hours what you, that the play is. <laughs> if you're going to school for dance or theater, um they say that like you graduate and then you get a role dancing in cats. Like that's kind of like what a lot of people do, especially if you're a dancer because it's one of the most complicated, but it's also the the probably the play that has the most dance spots available. To be yeah. cast. Well, almost every like Deuteronomy doesn't dance. Grizabella doesn't really dance, but almost everyone else has to sing and dance. Yeah. Um, which I guess is common in Broadway. But anyways, they also had to dance and move like cats, which, in my opinion, makes the play and movie extremely sexual. Yeah, <laughs> Am I, I right? There's just it's unforgivable, I think, honestly, how sexy they make these cats. And I'm like, we're watching the play and they're like humping on stage. And I'm like, no. These this cats is are, weird. They're writhing. They're they like in heat. They're gyrating. They are mm-hmm. punching their backs in tandem. I mean, 
it is and the movie is worse because you like see their faces we were kind of far away in the play i don't know what it's like when you're in the front row but it's like <laughs> these cats they're all trying to like get down with each other get down with the audience almost yeah I mean, they come into the audience at some points literally they come off the stage yeah into the I, aisles i will talk about that because that was another shocking thing they start to do but it's just like i feel like no one talks about how sexual i mean people talk yeah. about the movie but the play is also speaking of it cats, is mine is meowing Ooh. um but the play is just like, oh, this, it's supposed to be for families, but it is like one of the most. It came out in the 80s, though, Grace. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, and I think what makes it so uncomfortable is like cats in general are associated with femininity and mm-hmm. like can be associated with sexiness, like Catwoman or Cheetah Print. But the problem with cats is like it's not a human who, ha- who is like being inspired by a cat. They are supposed to be actual cats, but then they are like extremely sexy. So that's why the right. anthrop- it's like anthropomorphizing these cats it's very weird but then making them highly sexual it just like there's just something very very off about it um, yeah no it's it's disconcerting to say the very very least there was moments when like, they were like literally writhing on the stage and grace and i are like, like this is like an the... orgy <laughs> yeah. literally a cat orgy and then they're meowing and it's like these weird sexy meows oh yeah they're and... like groaning i, I don't know yeah you have to be there <laughs> if you're into that go watch the play but i feel like a general con- for the movie that was like a big complaint it was like so it was. sexual okay so about the staging of cats the All original right. um show at the new london theater was considered revolutionary and quote one of the first truly immersive theatrical experiences so it the stage was rounded into the audience as opposed to kind of being set back um the orchestra was hidden backstage so as not to take away from the immersive experience, which I didn't notice that. at the, I didn't either, but that's so true. The one we saw. But yeah, um, the cats come off the stage and into the audience. In the opening number, I, I didn't see this, but we were also on the balcony. They have flashing green. I, maybe they do on stage, actually. They have like flashing green eyes. Oh, and I it's like pitch it. black in the opening. So they have oh, fa- yes. flashing green yeah. eyes and they like come in through the black theater. Um, in the original Broadway production, catwalks were built to connect the stage to the boxes and balcony so that the cast could have access to the entire auditorium during the show. I looked for pictures of this to be like, what the hell were these poor actors forced to <laughs> crawl? They're not actual cats, okay? But they had to like, I, but I've heard that though. They used to go into the balcony and like walk on the like beams, basically. I don't know. It's nuts. And... We were up on the balcony, so we didn't see them, but they came off the stage into the audience. I think back in the day, they used to, like, sit on people's laps and stuff. And right. in the show, there's parts where you have to, like, cl- like stand up and clap and sing along. It's very interactive. I it mean, is. I Mr. Mean, Mistopheles' song, it's like everyone is standing up clapping. Right. And I think about, like, the other Broadway shows that I've been to. And, like, obviously <laughs> like now. the opera. <laughs> right. Like, nowadays, theater is much more accessible to a wider range of people. But Cats was the first musical to kind of break those barriers down in a way. Mm-hmm. And, like, I just can't imagine seeing, like, really, like, high-brow people going to see Cats and then having, like, these weird dancing actors meowing and writhing on the stage and sitting in their laps. I just, like, I feel like people were, like, turning on on their heads. They're like, what is going on? Oh, um, well, yeah. It did blow their mind. I mean. Yeah. I can't. Can you imagine before? going to? See, I saw like the last thing I saw on Broadway was Les Mis when they did the, like, back in when the movie came out. Afterwards, they kind of revived Les Mis. It was a very like morose crowd. Everyone was very yeah. quiet, and you know, taking it very seriously. 
Where but, you have to like stand up during one day more. <laughs> start one singing. Day more. Right. And then we start a revolution at the end. Like that's <laughs> like it's very strange. Although I think some other like more lighthearted plays, because I saw SpongeBob obviously is directed towards children, but is a good play and was nominated for Tony. So um fight her. I still okay. recommend it. Yeah. I also love SpongeBob, but the play was good. But I think there was like audience interaction. But I feel like Cats is for families, but not the same way as these other Disney at yeah. the time. Right. Not the same way as like Aladdin. Or Lion King. For yeah. Even though Lion King is... I remember when it's I dark too. saw Lion King um, on Broadway, I was little and I thought it was going to be like the movie and I was like, what the hell is it? Yeah. You're like, huh? <laughs> I was too young to appreciate. I saw it again when I was older in Chicago um, and I appreciated it a lot more. Right. But okay. So what about the sets and the costumes? So the set of cats stays the same throughout the play. It's one of those, like Rent. And it's a junkyard with oversized objects that the cats look cat size, which is a problem that they have in the movie. I'll talk about that one, let me tell you. Um, The costumes have to be cat-like, but also have to allow them to dance because they do like... And and it's like ballet dancing. I mean, the dancing is amazing in the show. Um, It's truly. The cast is incredibly talented. If you don't like the music, the dancing is like top notch you you're just yeah. watching these people dance you're like and then of course we saw the play and then we followed all of the dancers on instagram they are so incredibly talented and they're so young and i'm just like mm-hmm. the like, things well, that you can do with I'm your body give up now. <laughs> <laughs> like um, well it's been a nice run so the costumes i feel like a lot of people think the costumes are way more involved than they actually are mm. um but the costumes are basically a unitard a wig that is fashioned to suggest the presence of feline ears. So they don't actually have ears, but their hair kind of like goes up as if it's going over ears. Right. Whatever. That's a choice that they made. It's very like uh, the labyrinth David Bowie. Exactly. If you ask me. I to give like you a picture. Same. Yeah. Um, they have patches that resemble body fur and arm and leg warmers to give the performers hands and feet a more paw-like appearance. So 80s. The leg it's warmers. so, so 80s. And then they just paint cat like a cat face on their face it's not like prosthetics it's not whiskers like you would see it's not like the cowardly lion's face in wizard of oz i feel like that's how people think but no it's very like the face paint is actually simple and and the cast does it themselves yes um so i feel like the costumes actually aren't as like crazy as, as people might think um but each cat's costume is designed uniquely to the cat's personality for example i didn't notice this but for example the markings on the costume for jemima who is the youngest cat uh, resembles crayon scribbles so they all kind of have little like easter eggs like that okay and Cute. because of the amount of dancing in cats most of the costumes don't last longer than a few months wow okay i mean that makes sense although yeah, i do want to say the costumes the, yeah, the costume for deuteronomy in the one we saw it literally looked like this actor walked out wearing a carpet like truly yeah. draped around their shoulders compared to it was, the kind no, it was of unitards like- of the rest of, it was like a huge shaggy it was like a mop bear suit that didn't yeah. fit them like think bear in the big blue house but if bear in the big blue house wore a costume that was just draped off of him and saggy it's very strange yeah it, it was so different like the other costumes um i feel like cats is one of those things like we keep saying there's all these little things that stick out that aren't like the rest but the problem is everything else in cats is identical then it's like this one outlier and it's just like why but i mean i know whatever okay so about the we effect. do like this sort of yeah <laughs> like, that's why i don't know if i hate it or love it so the effect on musical theater as a whole so cats has been translated into over 15 languages and produced professionally in more than 30 countries 
It was a gigantic commercial success. It is the second longest running musical in West End, London, and the fourth longest on Broadway in New York. It was one of the most expensive shows to debut on Broadway at the time when it debuted, but it made its investment back in almost in only 10 months. Whoa, it debuted that's on crazy. Broadway in 1982, and then by 1997, it surpassed a chorus line as the longest running Broadway show. So it, it, at a time, it was the longest running Broadway show, but it right. since got surpassed and is now the fourth longest. Uh, by this time, it was found to have had an economic impact of $3.12 billion on New York City and had generated the most theatrical jobs of any single entity in Broadway history. It was nominated for 11 Tonys and won seven of them, including Best Musical. After 18 years, it closed its doors in 2000, and it had a two-year revival in both London and New York in the 20-teens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one in New York, Leona Lewis played. Well, actually, I think she played Grizabella in both the one in London. Then Really? I had no idea. It's yeah. so random. It's so random. This musical is so random. Especially... I mean, I guess, like, it, it doesn't really... Uh, Grisabelle's supposed to be, like, old, but they always have these, like, young, hot people play her. I know. It's very strange. Um, but, yeah, as Chelsea said, Cats was the first mega musical. It ushered in a new blockbuster type of musical for families and tourists, and it paved the way for other mega musicals, such as Sandra the Opera, Les Mis, and The Lion King, we mm-hmm. have talked about. It ushered in a golden age of British musicals, which saw West End... Um, dominate the industry for nearly two decades. So it kind of like revived the musical industry in London as well. Crazy to think that this guy like could have lost everything. Yeah. It just, I feel he like said he changed everything. I, th- I talk about this a little bit with the movie or I was going to, but the idea that the question is like, why do they put the movie out now? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Andrew Lloyd Webber did the right thing and he got the musical out in the 80s right at the exact moment that they when needed, needed this yeah. <laughs> musical. On the flip side, Universal and Tom Hooper were decided to put the music out musical out now in film form for God knows what freaking reason. Well, I kind of feel like once you like understand the implications that Cats had on musicals in general, I could see why they wanted to make it into a movie. I Back understand they really- why they want to make it into a movie, but I just feel like... At- Andrew Lloyd Webber got it at the right moment. Yeah. No, that is Universal and Tom Hooper did not hit the right moment, which it needs the right moment. They could have done it differently, too. I feel like the format of the play does not work in a movie because they they tried to add some plot into it, but it's just, it's a performance. It's not like a a good story. Like the story part is not the strong part. Right. Um, Okay. But in the 1980s, the success of local production of Cats in Tokyo, Sydney, Vienna, Hamburg and Toronto help establish these cities and their countries as major commercial markets in the global theatrical circuit. Amazing. So before musicals weren't that huge in those countries, and now it's like a very common stop for these touring companies to go to. Cool. Speaking of like Broadway on tour, in 1997, the New York Times credited the regional and touring productions of Cats with quote almost single-handedly reviving the sagging road business. Wow. So we saw cats on tour. So we, we, we did. supported that we did. business. But it was sold out and packed and people were in mm-hmm. costume. Okay. Like they take this seriously. But Broadway on tour, I feel like my mom has has we've talked about this before. Like you it kind of has it's like, well, I don't want to see it on tour. I want to see it on actual Broadway. But these performers who are on tour are amazing. I mean Yeah, they're, they're insane. Yeah, they could be on the on in New York, but they're on the touring company and it's it's just as good and you should definitely I would say even I would even say some of the performers on tour 
might even be better than what you're going to get on Broadway. Because Broadway, like any other industry, there is kind of like some bias about who gets what roles Mm -hmm. when. Um, And not to say that these performers on Broadway aren't good. They are. But I feel like I saw Les Mis on tour before it went back to Broadway, before it was revived in Broadway. And I think some of the performers that I saw at the Schubert in New Haven trumped, like completely trounced the people I saw on Broadway. Potentially because there are certain people that are trying to get the role on Broadway that, not that they don't deserve it, but, you know, it was their time. Well, also keep in mind, a lot of people on Broadway keep those jobs forever. Like they stay in that role for a very long time. There is one actress who was on, who was in Cats on Broadway, New York, when it first, during its first run. She was the only one who stayed uh, on the show, like the entire time of its run. And she played multiple different characters, but. Amazing. Just found that interesting. That's what a life, what a commitment. Um, Okay. So the original London production, oh, I want to talk about uh, Cats in like lights and audio because like we were talking about yes it's weird so the original london production of cats was the first known instance where the cast had individual mics so before they used to have shared ambient mics um but now that they had individual mics the show didn't have to worry about like the acoustics of the theater um which also allowed it to tour easier and now most musicals do use individual mics the original productions also featured David Hersey's pioneering use of automated lighting to produce kaleidoscope landscapes and complicated optical effects, which are still used today, but not necessarily in the, like, laser right. light show yeah. <laughs> type fashion. Additionally, Cats was the first Broadway and West End show to capitalize on merchandising as a major yes. revenue stream. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I didn't talk about this, but the um, Cats poster is also iconic. It's very simple. Iconic. It's just the two cat eyes. And Andrew Lloyd Webber originally called the play Practical Cats, but when that poster came out and it was so minimalistic, they changed it to just cats. Right. But that those two eyes became, you know, a logo and they they like really pushed merchandising. Mega um, musical people. This is exactly. what a mega musical is. It became a huge revenue stream uh, for the show and merchandising has since become an important source of income for the industry in general. Right. Some critics do feel that Cats is the, quote, theatrical equivalent of the rise of mega-budget Hollywood action films. For them, Cats is a soulless money machine. Which I mean, that's why it was created. But at the same time, I do have to say some of the mega-musicals are like, like, Les Mis is one of the, I mean, obviously, I I like theater, but I'm not like a theater nerd necessarily. I haven't seen a million Broadway plays, but you cannot tell me that Les Mis is not a good good musical and that is a mega musical you can't tell me that lion king's not good you know what i mean and for some people like those are the only types of musicals they are ever going to see because they're not that into musicals but it's like oh les mis okay i guess i've heard about that i'll see it and then they see it and it blows their mind right um so so, there are definitely critics to cats obviously we're critics even at the time they came out people didn't like it was like changing you know this like the, the, the musical landscape it was making it more digestible for right. lay people and kids right. and whatever but whether you agree with that sentiment or not cats did change musical theater as we know it today author mark stein says on the history of musical theater quote this is how they divide history bc before cats and ad andrew dominant or andrew dominant and they're talking about lloyd weber obviously yes. Which I love that. That is so interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The landscape of theater ch- train changed drastically after that. I mean, you go to the theater district in New York and it's everything is walking advertisement. Every single mm-hmm. restaurant there is connected to the theaters, merchandise everywhere. Um, it's one of the 
the stops you take if you're touring New York City. You have to go see a show on Broadway. Um, yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber changed the freaking game, guys. You don't have to like him, but he changed But you cannot everything. deny that, okay? You cannot. Facts are facts. And, and that gave us the cast movie, which Chelsea's going to talk about now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> for better or for worse. Ugh. 